1: Check out the Nation News at ronandonsitdown.com.
0: Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode 294 now of the Ron and Don Show, and we are live from the Les Schwab Studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Yeah, coming up on uh, the Ron and Don Show, Ron has been a crybaby. He's been crying about the Olympics. Also, it seems like some of the people in the Olympics are crying, so we got to talk about mental health. Uh, is that becoming an excuse, or is that a real thing? Also, we're going to talk about uh, what happened on January 6th. As we've heard some from four officers, about time you've heard this. This news is probably about five days old. They are saying they are saying in testimony before Congress uh, that it was a medieval battle and it wasn't a lot of hugs and kisses, as a former president uh, was saying. Before we get to that, though, let's get to this big article. Seattle Times talk about Seattle adjusting that we're really going to have to be adjust. If we want to become a higher and denser city, and Ron, that's really interesting because we live in a city that's all connected to neighborhoods by waterways, and one of the things that people love about this city are the single-family homes. But when you pivot and you look at other places that have exploded in growth, like we're experiencing right now in Seattle and there's no more land to build, you either have to tear something down, and in tearing something down... You know, on a SF5000 lot, a square foot lot, there's 5,000 square feet. City of Seattle now, you can put kind of, in a way, a triplex on it. That's what I try to do with my properties. Uh, what say you about the city of Seattle and adjusting? Is So many people continue to move here in droves, and it's, of course, driven by uh, the tech boom and this great weather we're having due to climate change.
1: Uh, that is correct. So um, I hesitate to, to find um, racism under every rock. But this is one where there is racism under this rock, and and here's why: Seattle, uh, up well into the 20th century, into the the mid 20th century, 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, sometimes had racial covenants and redlining in in specific neighborhoods. So it was ironic. One time, uh, Don and I did a real estate breakfast at a country club, I'm not going to name the country club, one of our compatriots there that joined us in that breakfast is Jewish. And he said, ironic, if this was one generation ago, I couldn't be in this country club right now. Jews were not allowed to be members. Jews were not allowed to play on this golf course. Uh, And I've pulled title before on a house that we were selling that said uh, people of color are not allowed to buy this house. You could be a um, a worker in the house, and you could be—I uh, uh, forget—a domestic. I think is what they called it in the the covenants. And so, what what is what am I trying to say here? So, we had this setup when it was originally set up. To your point, there they set up specific neighborhoods like Queen Anne, like Fremont, like Ballard, like Capitol Hill, and we could go on and on and on. And they said would say this is a white neighborhood. No minorities or Jews are allowed in this neighborhood. And they would write that into their founding documents and, and submit that to the city. And the city would stamp it and say, approved. Those are your rules and covenants of that neighborhood. And then they would draw what was called it was literally why it's called redlining, is they planners would pull out a city map and they would draw a red line around a neighborhood. And they'd say, here's where we want all of those people to live. So we're going to shove everybody into, let's say, the ID or the the central district. You guys are you're allowed to live there, and normally it's the most undesirable spots. We're gonna we're gonna put you in there. Now, banking laws came into effect, and bankers came into effect, and so bankers wouldn't write loans as favorably in the red line districts, and this this domino effect happened for generations here in the city of Seattle. Then what they're talking about is Norm Rice becomes mayor of Seattle and he's a black man. And so Norm said, we're going to do urban villages. That was the rage in the 1990s. W- go p- look at the map in the Seattle times. Where did the urban villages in air quotes, where did they sprout up in the historically redlined neighborhoods of Seattle? There's no urban villages on the top of Queen Anne. There's not an urban village in the middle, middle of Magnolia. You don't get urban villages uh, on the bluff over in Ballard. The urban villages are in the same spots that you had the redlining. And so what was the concept of the urban village? We're going to go in. we're going to revitalize this, na- this bad neighborhood, in air quotes. Well, why was it bad? Because you redlined it 80 years ago. And you wouldn't pump any money into it. You wouldn't lend any, bankers wouldn't lend any money. And so people lived in this poverty existence because they couldn't get good jobs. They couldn't live where they really wanted to.
0: And businesses didn't want to open up grocery stores. They didn't want to open up hardware stores. It was they perceived as lower income. Didn't want to uh, open up restaurants, movie theaters, uh, YMCA, so kids
1: can learn to, to swim and have fun. Teachers didn't want to teach in those schools, et yeah. cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you, you cram these urban villages into the historic places places they were already disenfranchised and try to pack more density there so while you could have a house in magnolia on a 10,000 square foot lot and uh, around you are lawyers and people that know the mayor and people that donate to political parties and people that go to black tie events and so when it when when a resolution comes up or a vote comes up they're more likely to have one, one degree of separation from a council member. Hell no, not in my neighborhood. We're not creating an urban village in Magnolia. Are you crazy? I, I'm going to fight. I'll file a lawsuit. I'm going to withdraw my donation. You're going to hear from my attorney. You're going to hear from this neighborhood group that's very influential. I'm going to call my friend in the mayor's office so that doesn't happen. The, the likelihood that someone has the mayor in their phone book that lives in one of these urban villages is very, very low. They don't necessarily go to the black tie events for obvious reasons. So this thing has evolved layer upon layer upon layer until now we sit where we are today, where they go, huh, those urban villages, A, haven't provided any sort of diversity, B, aren't really that affordable. And then C, are the density is all concentrated in places that were already dense. And so um, they're looking at this now and going, when Mayor Dumpster Fire, the the pedophile mayor, Mayor Murray, allegedly, uh, he came out and said, oh, we're going to change these SF5000 lots, the single family lots, and let people do more density there. You would have thought people said we were going to let wild buffalo roam through the hills of, of Capitol Hill. People were outraged. I don't know if people remember the outrage that happened. It was the NIMBY with a capital N, not in my backyard. How dare you say that I'm going to put a cottage, my neighbor will have the right to put a cottage and have some low-income person staying behind my next-door neighbor's house. No, sir, not in my backyard. And that is the fight that we've had. This, This doesn't go back a year or five years. This goes back... A hundred years plus to the very same covenants that were like those people are not allowed in this neighborhood. It's the exact echoes of that. And if we're going to solve this problem, I think we need to rewind all the way to that assumption and go, "Yeah, that's true. This is a this is a racist issue."
0: Yeah, and the, and the and the, and those are all great points that you just made. And the difficulty is this too. When a building, let's say a multiplex uh, building, gets to be about 40 years of age, uh, and we've seen what's happened with Florida with the collapse there. Uh, Here in Seattle, fast forward to here, to go out and buy a building, I have a friend, I just found a sixplex for him. So he purchased his sixplex, one of my partners actually. He purchased a sixplex. And now he's having to pump a bunch of money into the building. Uh, just to get it up to current code. And then on top of that, uh, you know, the building is from the 1960s. It's never been upgraded. So he's going to go in and upgrade. Well, with just an upgrade, just taking out a bathtub, just taking out a bathtub. And he walked me through it the other day, what it costs to take out a bathtub. It's about $13,000 to take out an old bathtub and replace it. Let's say with a shower pan, which a lot of people are into right now. Uh, And, he he just he he's a CPA by trade, so he did the dollars and cents of one of one bathtub, and then multiply that by six bathtubs if you want to go in and upgrade those bathtubs. And the difficulty is this: with lumber plate prices climbing, and they've come down a bit, but not a lot, with the cost of labor so high because we ju- we just don't. It, you you think there's a problem in the supply chain with truck drivers? Uh, try to find men and women in the trades that can come out and respond to even an emergency plumbing problem. If you have someone come out, and even if it's not a big deal, you might pay thousands of thousands of dollars if you start freaking, and then uh, you stop freaking, and you call Beacon, let's say. So, so you, you have investors that are investing in these buildings. Some of these buildings are in gentrified neighborhoods. And, and now, if you're an investor, your job isn't to sit there and have a building that's a push, Meaning that it doesn't cash flow, or a feeder, which means it really doesn't cash flow because you're having to feed it money every month in order for it uh, to stay afloat. You're looking to get those expenses covered somewhere, and so you turn around and what do you do in these in in these in these urban villages? Uh, You end up raising the rent, and so bam, it goes right back. It goes right back to not helping the people that sometimes. We intentionally try, are, are trying to figure out uh, how, can, how, can we, how can we help.
1: So. Yeah, it's, it's a vicious cycle. So uh, I, while I, I think that, that Norm Rice um, thought this was the best plan at the time, and it was very hot at the time, this concept, because he tried to put mass transit and some infrastructure in, into close proximity to these neighborhoods and have light rail and grocery stores and all that stuff. Uh, now looking back on it, that has not been the plan. Yeah. And so well, we'll have to see is a it it's a very interesting story uh read read the story, look at the maps, look in the mirror, and go how can I be part of the solution here because we 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 uh, you can't continue to be the fastest growing city every single year uh in the United States and not have the problems that we have mm-hmm. and so we we need some leadership, we need some plans, and we need some some tough choices to be made so that that we can start accommodating everybody yeah all right, uh, more on the other side of this.
0: Hey, you guys, you know what? When we say less Schwab, you think of tires. You think of wheels, right? And you should think of tires and wheels, but you should also think about your safety because at Les Schwab, they're thinking about your safety. They're thinking about your alignment. They're thinking about your battery. They want to make sure when it's 88 degrees here in Western Washington, and then you're headed over the pass and it's 103 and you're out in wine country, they want to make sure that car's going to start. Also your brakes. Yeah, when you hit the brake and the most important thing in the car is your family, you want to make sure that car stops. And what about your shocks? Ask for a Les Schwab pre- Trip safety check. And it's free. It is free at Les Schwab. And how you get signed up is you just go to Les That's Les Schwab.com and you can find whether eighty-five centers in Washington to serve you. That's Les Schwab, you guys, and Les Schwab.com. We're doing the right thing. You know it matters because they've been doing the right thing since nineteen fifty-two. Hey, you guys, what's going on? Yeah, we are the guys that were on Cairo Radio and Terrestrial Radio for the last 25 years. Our show is called The Ron and Don Show, and now we've taken the show. In fact, it has over a million listens. We've taken it to the podcast format, and we would love for you to either join us for the first time, or if you have missed us, to find us once again. Yeah,
1: yeah, again, the Ron and Don Show is on this podcast player. There's over 200 episodes for you to catch up on. If you want to binge listen, go all the way back to episode one. You can find out what happened, what's the real story of why we were let go at Cairo Radio. So just hit the uh, magnifying glass, type in Ron and Don Radio. That's Ron and Don Radio. And you can start subscribing and listening straight away.
0: Yeah, and don't forget, we're real estate agents. Licensed with Windermere. And if you need us, just reach out. Ron at Windermere.com.
1: Please hit subscribe on your podcast player we also love if you gave us a review. Now let's get back to building Ted. I mean, Laverne and Shirley. No, seriously, it's R&D, and with me, that's three.
0: All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. As you just heard, we're licensed uh, realtors at Windermere. So if you need us, just reach out. You can write Ron, Ron, at com, and we get our playbook today for buying, selling, investing, okay? Everything is up right now, ronandonsitdown.com and you can go there. And uh, join the newsletter. And we send out one newsletter a week. It's not, we don't sell it to anyone. You're not going to get bombarded uh, with 12 emails a day. uh, Like you do from other people. We'll just send you one email a week. And it's a really great, great way for us to stay in touch. Uh, with, with what's happening in the Ron and Don Nation. So it's about real estate. Uh, I just wrote something about Richard Sherman that uh, I think we sent out last week. So just go to ronanddonsitdown.com, get signed up for today. This, this is kind of interesting, and, and I'm almost afraid to talk about it because it becomes so divisive. And it shouldn't be divisive when all of us decide that we are seeking truth. And what happened on 9-11, for instance... Uh, the committee that wrote the book. I sat down and read their book, the 9/11 Commission, especially when you started hearing all these crazy tales about this. This this actually never happened, right? And so that becomes that becomes one of the stories. And what's interesting to me now is we pivot to January 6 and we look at this story. It's a, it's a story where you you have Democrats and Republicans uh that are doing the nation's business and in in the middle of the nation's business there's a riot that breaks out and right before the riot breaks out there's a president down the street he's invited everybody to come to washington then he invites them to walk down the street and this is on the very day that they're deciding uh, who's going to win the election his vice president he knows is down there so at the end of his remarks his son's remarks some other uh, people spoke Uh, including roger stone he said uh, i will i'll meet you down there let's go and then we're we're learning now that the president initially was very giddy when when he saw all these people going to the capitol and he really thought he really thought that mike pence was going to step in and stop the tomfoolery and that they were going to overturn the election what's what's really amazing to me even when they they pull Republicans today. There's many Republicans, not a few, but many Republicans that feel like the election was stolen. So now we fast forward to what actually happened on January 6th. We have four police officers that have gone before a congressional panel. Uh, two on the panel are Republicans. The two Republicans that McCarthy wanted to put on the panel, Pelosi said no. She chose two other Republicans, and now those two Republicans, uh, including Liz Cheney, are being called pelosi republicans what we're finding out today as officers step to microphones is they talk about what what they say what they frame as a medieval battle one of the officers explains about being drugged into the crowd uh being beaten uh being sprayed with bear mace uh having people in the crowd reach for his gun and he begins to beg and plead with the crowd saying i have children I have children. And then finally, just closing his eyes and realizing this is the way it's going to end for me. I am going to die today. He accepted the fact that he was going to die. Uh, there was another officer there, and we all saw, we all saw the horrific footage of him being crushed behind a door. And he explained what that was like. There's another officer there who raised his hand when he was in his 20s to defend the Constitution because not only did he become Not only did he become an American citizen that day, but he also became a Capitol Hill police officer. And he said that that was his job to go down there to protect the Capitol, to protect Congress, uh, to take a bullet or to take a hit or a swipe or bear spray or whatever it was. And he did. He got beat. He says, to this day, you talk about hugs and kisses Uh, There were over 150 police officers that were hurt and wounded. 17 of them still aren't working today. And as a result of what happened on, uh, on the 6th, three officers have passed away, including two officers that have committed suicide. So it's very upsetting to me. And people always think that I'm a bleeding liberal. But if you looked at the way that I have voted throughout the years, you, you might think I'm actually a Republican. And I have I voted, and I'll just say this, I voted for as many Republican presidents as I have for uh, presidents that are on the other side of the aisle. I have. And, and this to me, this to me, not wanting to know the truth, as these officers testify and as other Republicans are asked about the testimony – they're, they're they're all stuck on this copy point. Oh, you're listening to the Pelosi Republicans. You're listening to the Pelosi Republicans. They aren't listening to the Pelosi Republicans. What they're doing is they're listening to these four brave men that thought they were going to lose their lives and 17 who may have lost their lives, some from PTSD, some from brain damage, and you can't make this up. And if the Republican Party is the party of law in order? Then how can you not be curious and have a full investigation about what happened on January 6th? This, to me, is the hold that the former president has on the Republican Party. And he's not letting go of that. And I think a lot of Republicans thought that that hold, that grip would somehow vanish and I think many of them, many of them are freaking scared that they won't get reelected if they end up on the wrong side of the aisle. Anyway, I'm glad to hear this testimony in the other Washington today. I hope people that are listening and even listen to this podcast that are Republicans and Democrats, if you're law and order and you stand with the men and women of police departments all around the country, it's been a very, very tough year for the police And then to see what happened on January 6th for a law and order president to send thousands of people down to the Capitol, and then the wheels came flying off, and you don't take responsibility, and you show no care or compassion for these 151 police officers. This, to me, is an incredible stain on our democracy, and I don't say that lightly. It's very, very upsetting to me to hear what's happening in the other Washington uh, today.
1: Yeah, I agree with everything you just said there. And let, let's remember, this is this is a political event. This is not a criminal event. In other words, their testimony that is given uh, to this Congress, people aren't going to get necessarily arrested uh, in this room. They're, they don't have the power to send someone to jail. They don't have the power uh, to impose some sort of penalty on these folks. This is a political investigation. So what's the incentive here? Well, the incentive is, I would hope, um, to sanction people that actively tried to overthrow the United States government or to kick them out of positions of power. And so what, what is this really about? Uh, and you sort of, you sort of uh, hinted at it. This is about power and money and control. And so both sides are playing a carefully orchestrated game of how do we gain more power, how do we gain more money, how do we gain more control? And so the Democrats' theory is, hey, if we expose this and people see, you notice all the officers that came up were their, their dress blues, as many medals and badges and ribbons that they could uh, get on their uniform, they got on their uniform, because why, why did they do that? Why are they not in civilian clothes? Well, because Republicans, by and large, love the military. They, they respect uniforms. They respect um, the symbology of that. So uh, they're, they're playing into the archetypes that they think is going to play well. So the Democrats are saying, if we display this in front of America, then we will be able to peel off some people, not all people, but some people, and, and, and get them over to our way of thinking, and we can get more seats, we can get more power, we can get more money, we can get more control. Other side, the Republicans are saying, all we need to do, we want to retain our power. So what do we need to do? We need to reframe this in a way that appeals to our base. You hear that all the time. Well, who is this, this fictional base that they're speaking of? In their mind, it is people that echo the beliefs that you just said, that still believe in Donald Trump, still believe that this election was stolen, still believe that vaccines are a hoax. Still believe that the, the, the world is against them, that there's some sort of boogeyman out there that's trying to take away their property, take away their rights, uh, take away their livelihood, uh, take away their job. And so they're angry about that. And so they're feeding into that narrative. And, um, meanwhile, you know, in the Justice Department, they are arresting and sending people to jail that actually did these things. It's like, if you want to talk about law and order or law and justice, The Justice Department is actively doing, they they go arrest people. They put them on trial. They show the video footage, and they put people in jail. This is political theater, and so far I think the Democrats are winning because when you see a man in uniform that served in Afghanistan break down in tears uh, on national television, you'd have to be a sociopath to just dismiss that out of hand. See you on the other side. Hi, this is Therese, the new buyer specialist for all of you in the Ron and Don Nation. If you're going to win a house in such a competitive market, you better have a good strategist. And that's what I specialize in. When you're ready to sit down with us, go to RonandonSitdown.com And now back to the show.
0: All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. Again, if you need us, uh, just go to sitdown.com That's sitdown.com And we'd love to talk about your real estate journey today. Once again, live from the Les Schwab Studios, let's talk about the Olympics. Let's talk about lots of pressure. Uh, let's talk about what we saw with Richard Sherman a couple of weeks ago. Um, and sometimes the pressure, I think, that athletes feel is sometimes just applied by themselves, right? But you see a guy that's kind of at the end of his journey of playing football, and he lost it a little bit. And so we're all hoping and praying and believing uh, that one of our favorite football players, and, and really, in my opinion, a good human, can get things turned around. What I think is really interesting and kind of astonishing, and, and women, once again, are leading the way uh, when it comes to mental health, is you have a pretty famous tennis star who recently said, hey, you know what? I'm going to sit out a couple matches here uh, because right now I'm not okay. And in fact, we saw on a magazine that said it's okay to not be okay. We see a gymnast who everybody thought Team USA would garner gold. And then at the last moment, uh, she stepped out and stepped away and said the reason that she did that and was doing that was because of her mental health. In the world that I grew up in, playing sports, and it's some, something in the stories that I share with my friends going all the way back to high school and when we were kids in junior high, is whenever you got hurt, whenever it got your bell rung, it wasn't a concussion. It was just you get your bell rung, you rub some dirt on it, and you go back in and play. I remember uh, when I was in junior high playing football with a broken foot and when we found out later on that it was broken, and yet I played a whole game at running back, had one of the best games I ever had, and, and I was praised for that. I, I was praised for that. I remember wrestling, and I ended up urinating, urinating blood as a result of something that happened in a wrestling match. And I remember my coach standing up, and from the team... And talking about how awesome I was. And he's like, Yeah. And I even, I even I saw the blood in O'Neill's urine, and yet he's still out there, you know, doing it and giving everything he has. So it's always been kind of celebrated and somewhere along the line. And, and again, I think women are leading us here. They're very brave to step forward and go, Hey, uh, at the end of the day, there's a human being in here, and I right now am not okay. And I just want to say I'm not okay, and I hope you're comfortable with me not being okay. And as a result, uh, you have a pretty famous Olympian, Ron, that said, I'm not going to be there for the gold medal round. What say you about sports, mental health, and is it okay to not be okay?
1: Well, Simone Biles is not just the lead of this year's team, and most people say she is the greatest female gymnast of all time of any country. Uh, the things that she is doing on every single apparatus is absolutely astonishing. There are multiple maneuvers that she's the only one in the world that can do, and they're named after her on different disciplines. She's the first gymnast, I think, since 1992 to qualify in all of the of the floor events. In every single apparatus, every single event, she qualified to move forward. So she's, she's carrying the U S team and doing things that no one else in the world can do. And so when she got to this vault and she had a bad run, she felt the pressure of the whole team and, and kind of the whole country. You know, she felt the pressure. If I don't perform to these superhuman levels and we don't get gold, it's on me. And so she walked, she had a bad, uh, showing on her first vault. Some people thought she was injured because she landed really awkwardly and she walked off the mat and she said, I can't, I can't, I can't complete this event. And you're right. There was no higher praise when you and I grew up than O'Neill's a gamer. Mm-hmm. That guy's a warrior. Right. Uh, you had these battle sort of uh, um, titles that would be thrown your way. And that meant that that you, uh, you were celebrated for denying the pain. You were celebrated for not paying attention to how your body felt. You were said like I remember and you're, you're in your are and I generation going up, oh, you know, Ronnie Lott chopped off part of his finger to play in the Super Bowl. He isn't that awesome? Can you imagine? And, and We
0: it, did think that was awesome. We did.
1: Yeah. And so it's totally awesome. If you look back It's then,
0: still it's still I'm not going to lie. It's still a little awesome to me. Even though it, just, it shouldn't be a little awesome, but it is. It's, like, it's like, like my reaction is, wow, that's awesome.
1: And so uh I I think Simone Biles not doing that uh is is super brave because you have the entire weight of a country on you. Go out and look. Um there's a brother and sister in Japan. Both of them do taekwondo. And uh again, if you've you've never visited Japan or never been to a respect-based culture, um they were both up for a gold medal and they're competing in the same building. Not against each other, obviously. She's in the women's category, he's in the men's category. And so um, she wins the gold in Japan as a Japanese woman in a sport that is beloved in Japan. And you can watch the weight of her country cascading off her body when she when that match was over and she won gold. She starts to weep with the relief. It wasn't a weep of celebration. It was a weeping of of a relief that I can't believe that I won the gold in Tokyo. And I started crying watching this and then her brother's up next. So her brother watches his little sister win. Now he has to step in the ring on his home turf, uh, also going for gold. His sister's already won in Japan. The, the eldest son is it like in each family if you're in a family with no sons and you're a successful family you will adopt someone else's successful son son to run your company like that's the thing that happens in Japan you uh, there there are business tycoons there that will adopt a 40-year-old man to be their son if they don't have a son to take over the business it's a crazy like the son is everything this guy's carrying now everything in his family everything in the country and so he wins a very close match. I know nothing about Taekwondo. I don't know the rules. I don't know the point system. I don't know how, how you win, how you lose, what's a good move, what's a bad move. When this brother and sister, it went, both of them win gold, I was openly weeping watching this uh, because of the, the pressure that they overcame. And you see the sister right on the side of the mat now she was able to be jubilant for her brother and excited. But uh, when she won, it was a different release of emotion. Simone Biles was carrying that for the entire program of the United States. And it was just a given. Hey, you're the best in the world. You go do your thing, and then we'll plug in two or three other people, and, and they'll be able to, we'll be able to get gold. So when she stepped out, we, the, the America lost to the Russians. So Russia won in that, that one event. And USA took gold, or took silver, I mean. And so um, I think it's a good thing. She's not a robot. She's not, uh, you know, you just turn it on at will, and you go out there and do, just be special on when yeah. I tell you to be special. You
0: know who you can learn from is Michael Phelps. He went and, and he won all those medals. and then And then the wheels came off in his life. They just, they came off. And addiction took over, and he went to a really dark, sad place. And he was completely out of shape. And then all of a sudden, uh, he had a child. And when you have a child, you immediately start thinking about legacy. You just do. At least I did. Um, You start thinking about legacy or how the hell do I get out of here, (laughs) which some men do. Michael Phelps didn't do that. He leaned into that. And then when you look at his approach in his last Olympics, where he still did very, very well, he, he didn't carry the weight uh, that he carried in the first Olympics because he learned about self-care. He learned about taking care of himself. Uh, he learned about, these are just some games, and if I lose, that's okay. Uh, and I really think, I really think it took more courage uh, for some of these athletes To say, I'm walking off the map, or I'm walking off the court, or I'm getting out of the swimming pool, or I'm walking off the gridiron to go take care of myself. That, to me, takes more courage. And you have to be even more brave to do so. Because it really runs counterintuitive to what a lot of us have been taught about Shaking it off. Chopping your finger off. Chopping your finger off and rubbing some dirt on it. Hey, you guys. Thanks for stopping by episode 294 of the Ron and Don Show. He's Ron and I'm Don. If you need us, just reach out. Go to ronanddonsitdown.com. Don't forget to get signed up for the newsletter and also hit subscribe on your podcast player and then you get a new podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We really appreciate you guys listening and, of course, Les Schwab for sponsoring today's show. If you want one of those playbooks, write Ron. Ron at windermere.com if you're thinking about buying or selling and we'd love to do a sit down with you anytime. Just go to Don sitdown.com head up shoulders back we'll see you next time can you believe for episode 295 that's incredible only on the ron and don radio network
1: now keep your head up and your shoulders back and keep blowing that trumpet and we'll see you next time only 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 only, only. only on the ron and don radio network